Hey, you found me, and I'm so glad you did. I have a lot of fun over here at A Juicy Pear Podcast. I love interviewing people from all walks of life, and I especially like what makes a person tick. I ask the questions that people want to hear. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Wendy with the Juicy Pear Podcast, and I'm super excited about our guest today. He is an ex-movie producer and an outsource CFO for producers in Hollywood. And he also has, um, he's an author, he has a new book just out, and I'm so excited that he is here. His name is Tim Totora. Did I say that right, Tim? <laughs> you did, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I'm so excited that you're here. Um, we we're just kind of talking off uh, recording. Um, you've done so many things. You have a wealth of talent behind you. I guess we'll just kind of get into, um, so you have like over 30 years experience in Hollywood. You've uh, produced TVs, movies, records, all kinds of things. How did you get into this um, business? Uh, well, truthfully, uh, it was it was something I wanted to do from the time I was 12. I grew up in Southern California. And I remember driving by the studios and looking behind the gate saying to my dad, I want to know what goes on back there. I want to, I want to figure that out. And I did just that. I was, I don't come from an entertainment background. Uh, my parents were entrepreneurs in Orange County in the seventies and eighties, and uh, I had no connection. So I went to college and I took a recording class. I was a musician at the time. I was a drummer. Okay. And in that course in that stud course of study, you had to take a recording class. And I just was like, oh my God, this is amazing. That's the most interesting thing I've ever done. And that led me to being a tape op in a recording studio because this other student, uh, her, I can't remember her last name, but her name was Martha. It's like, hey, you, you seem to love this. You seem to be really good at it. Why don't you see if you want to intern at the studio that she was interning at? And I did. And I did that for a bunch of years, which led to a graduate. And I did it while I was in school, which led to me graduating with an advertising degree, which is a completely different story. But nonetheless, I worked for a studio and on an advertising account. And then that led to getting promoted and making more money and being offered a big job at like 24, 25. And I was like, I don't awesome. want to be that guy. I want to go work in production. So I quit to go be a PA on a TV show. And that's how it started. Amazing. What TV show was it? It was a show called Dream On, which was one of the first uh, original programming uh, HBO series. Okay. And um, that was in 1992 or 93. And I just worked my way up through the ranks. I had a goal. I wanted to get to the job of being a production executive at an independent producer making TV and or feature films. And that happened for me uh, five years later for Oprah Winfrey. I ran physical production for Harpo Films. I was 30 years old. And my goal was to get the job before I was, by the time I was 30. And I um, just, by virtue of networking, staying connected, working all the time. I mean, I worked 24 seven all the time. I loved it and I still love right. it. And, you know, work-life balance for me, uh, I think is a, is a mistake. I think people who are young and are doing that and playing that game are going to get left behind. Yeah. I mean, you, what I like about you is you, okay. So you don't, you didn't have family in the business. You were hungry for it. You, know, you, you wanted it. You wanted it really badly. So you continue to, you know, you persevered and you did whatever you had to do. So that kind of automatically, you know, you earned it. You know, there's a lot of people in Hollywood. Well, I don't know of a lot. I don't know. I don't live there. But I'm assuming, you know, if you are growing up in the business, you ne didn't necessarily earn it. And, but there you are. You have the opportunity right there at your feet. It's true. And I did whatever it took. As long as it wasn't illegal or immoral, I was, I would do whatever. If it meant going out to, 
you know, the producer's house at, in a rainstorm at two o'clock in the morning because I got dragged out of bed by my boss, the coordinator on a show who needed the producer to get, no joke, Tuck's medicated pads delivered to his house because it was raining and he had a hemorrhoid flare up. Oh, I was like, my. okay, call. Well, yeah. I got in the car. Yep. I pulled the petty cash out of my pocket. I went and got the right color. I was told if you get green, you'll be fired. You get red, <laughs> oh, no. you'll be fired. You got to get the one with the blue label. And okay. literally that was the conversation. So I did whatever I needed to do to get the job. And was it humiliating? Yeah. Did I make terrible movies? I mean, money? Absolutely. Did I work long hours? Yes. But did I sit on the couch outside the soundstage in the production office waiting to take film when we used to do that to the lab at after the end of the day? There were no runs to be done. Did I sit there and read through the SAG agreement? Yes. Eight or 900 pages of eight point type about all the ways Nightmare. people who are actors get paid. I did it for the WGA, the DGA, I did them all. Okay. But I sat on that couch just reading through the material, learning it, building a skill. And that's what it takes. And, um, you know, there's, I want to, there's one thing you said, which is, you know, if you're connected, it's easy. Yes, it is. But the percentage of people who are connected is really infinitesimally small. There's okay. 250,000 W2s that are produced by the payroll services that service just entertainment. So right. there's essentially 250,000 writer, director, actors, and then all the crew. And the crew number is about 150 to 200,000 of those people. There are a lot of jobs in this world, in the world of entertainment, that are grip, electric, camera, set decoration, sure. designers, wardrobe, makeup, and hair. The, almost all of those people come up through the ranks and don't have access or connections into the industry. And they figure it out. Right. Um, you know, you just got to really want it badly. I think youth plays a role before you have a family, before you have, you know, yes. a lot of obligations, yes. you know, of course, you know, makes it This easy. is a young person's business for sure. Yeah. Well, it makes it easier to get up at two in the morning and get all these you know, things that you need. to. <laughs> yeah. And they're I mean, long days and long hours. Yeah. Um, why do you think, I mean, that's that kind of a demand from somebody. It just seems like, um, why are they so demanding like that? Not that, you know, just in that industry, it's like that. But is it because they just think they're just so special that I'm, and they have that power and, you know, I'm going to have, I mean, I can't imagine asking someone to do that. I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, Go out and do it, it yourself or wait till the next day. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, if you, if you sort of play that thought through your head, which is I'm going to go call someone to rouse someone else out of bed. It's got to, to be go the right color. Me, I mean, to go buy me. Who do you hemorrhoid. think you are? <laughs> well, put that aside for a second. Okay. Assume that you are an arrogant, uh, entitled person who thinks you know. And there's there's certainly plenty of that when you get to a certain level in the industry. Sure. But it's not the it's not the norm certainly. But just play it through in his head. It's like okay, I'm going to get this guy out of bed, <laughs> and then he's going to talk in the morning to his friend, who's going to talk to his friend, and then it's going to go from two to four to eight to sixteen to thirty-two to sixty-four to one hundred twenty-eight really fast. So, do you think if I'm that person, do I go, oh yeah, that's cool, I'm all right with the hundred and fifty thousand people in the industry knowing that I have a hemorrhoid problem? <laughs> it's not very bright. It's not very wise. No, no. I mean, whatever. I, I guess it it takes all kinds though. So you know, whatever. There's I bet a you... certain amount of that entitlement, but it is the yeah. anomaly, one hundred percent. I only okay. use it as the most ridiculous example of the. It is ridiculous. Stupid things I had to do when I was a PA. You know? I bet you have some wild stories though. I do. I, I can't. Wild I mean, stories. okay. Is there any like general story? short story that you can tell that's kind of, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. Sometimes I do that. Sometimes I make that sharp left turn Yeah, yeah. that you could, <laughs> that you could, that you would be willing to share. That would be kind of fun. 
I don't know about wild and I don't, I'm not really a fan of being a gossip, certainly. Okay, um, sure. Which is why I haven't mentioned the name of the producer, which I could do very easily. Yeah. But um, a really fascinating story that, um, I wouldn't say fascinating, but something that really made me happy and working on and with an actor who was amazing. I was working on Tuesdays with Maury. I was the head of physical production at Harpo making a TV movie for ABC starring Jack Lemmon. Fabulous. Jack Lemmon uh, had known the production designer's mother, Michael Riva's mom, and was an actress. And Jack and, and I can't remember Michael's mother's name, but anyway, so they were sort of family friends. They knew one another. And at, when we were on the soundstage for the last 10 days of the shoot, um, Jack, Michael brought in a television and a VHS. Yes, a VHS. Yep. And we sat there at lunch watching old Jack Lemon movies with him sitting there telling us stories. About oh, the people sweet. We worked with. Yeah. And on the day we were watching uh, Some Like It Hot, it was Jack talking about Tony Curtis and how uh, amazing he was and how nice he was and how uh, how much fun he was and all the rest. Very effusive. He had nothing but nice things to say. And someone says to Jack, so what was it like working with Marilyn Monroe? I was just going to say. Yeah. And he squints his eyes and he goes, she was a good self-promoter. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> So the moment of cutting sort of, you could see Jack was clearly not a fan of this woman. Okay. Yeah. And still was like, Oh, I don't, I still don't want to say anything particular. That is a common thread in this business. You know, it's a small insular business. You, you, you know, you stab someone in the back. You're going to, you don't want to burn bridges. You don't want to go around town saying, Oh, this guy does this, this woman does this, but yeah. Yeah. It was funny. It was a funny way of saying that yeah. he wasn't a fan of Marilyn Monroe and he made it very clear that Yeah, he wasn't. sort of an indifference there, but yeah, you can infer a lot of but stuff. But it not only was it fun watching someone I had seen on screen my entire childhood and adult life and sitting next to him and listening to the stories and talking to him was amazing. But not only that, but I learned from the old guard how do you answer a question point blank and not be full of shit? How do you do it? Pardon my French. How do you do it in a way where you can be honest to your what you believe and right. not have to be a duplicitous liar? And right. that was a, a learning moment that, like so many others that I've gotten, that was uh, profound and, and happened at a young age for me. And I was really lucky. That's really that's a really cool experience. I would Definitely. love that. I love to I love to hear the stories behind the story, you know, behind the movie and by the like, oh, this happened on this or like on a photo shoot. Oh, we had to do this and this to get this right. You know, I, I find that to be the really good stuff, you know. Yeah. yeah, it is fun. It's interesting. I don't know how how interesting it is, but it's interesting to me to those kinds of moments are fascinating. I just uh watched uh the Marilyn Monroe documentary that's currently on Netflix right now. Mm. Um yeah. Very interesting. She's a remarkable woman, um, obviously. But uh, yeah, I, I like to hear the stories about what, you know, with the Kennedys and all that. I won't get yeah. into it. But yeah, that there's, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but I hear it's interesting. Yeah, um, it is. For very... sure. And there's a lot, you know, these, we, we sort of um, put actors and famous directors and just once in a while producers, but pretty uncommon and almost never writers. But we put these people up on a pedestal yeah. and the truth is they're just people, you know, they Absolutely. have families, they have lives, they right. have extraordinary lives. They have the easiest job on the planet. When I hear an actor say, I worked really hard. It's like, really, did you, <laughs> you showed up, you memorized 120 right. pages, right. 
of dialogue. Not every line is yours. Is that really that hard? Yes, they worked hard to get there. But being an actor is not hard work. Neither is being a model. Neither is any of it. It's super easy. You show up, you do this job, you go home, you get paid a lot of money and people kiss your ass. Well, I feel, yeah, that's the thing. Like when you have people kissing your ass constantly, it's going to change you. It's going to change you as a being, you know, you're going to, you're going to finally believe you're going to believe the hype. Like, Oh, why are they, you know, I'm me. And you know, that's where it gets kind of, okay. I don't know. It does. It does happen. But you know, I think depending on the age of the person and their upbringing, I think Jennifer Lawrence is a just a shining example of a young person who came in and do, into an industry that didn't believe the hype. Yeah, and I don't know her. I only see the public persona that you see. But when I see it, she's uh, not self-aggrandizing. She seems yeah. to be really smart and understands the industry that she's working in. And um, it, that's uncommon for someone who's as young as she was coming into this industry. She's, she's a teenager. Yeah, so, I think she was like 13, 14 coming into it. Someone saw her, thought she'd yeah. be a great model, and then she kind of broke into the acting. Um, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I find her refreshing, and um, she's just not afraid to be herself, and she does yeah. seem very intuitive and intelligent. Yeah, I, I have to agree with, with you. Yeah, and I think youth plays into a lot of that problem of believing the hype. As you get older, you start to see, oh, around the corner, this is all nonsense. Right, right. But it takes a little bit. You know, some people are starry-eyed all the, you know, all the time. Okay. So kind of maybe give us a little example. What does a producer do? I mean, if you just tell our um, audience in like short form, basically you're trying to get the financial aspect to get the movie made, correct? In like very, very simple terms. <laughs> well, there's sort of two columns of producers, right? There's creative okay. producers and there's physical logistics and finance producers. Okay. So the creatives are in charge of making sure that something gets in development, that it gets seen by the people who will pay for a particular idea at the right place and putting them in front of those development executives around town. That's one thing. There's not really much skill with regard to understanding the physicality of physical production and the financing of it. You you can develop it over time, but it's not really a skill you develop in development or you build in development. Then there's producers who are in charge of the physical logistics, line producers, executive producers. That's money. And that's actually physically and producing. And those are physical jobs having to do with finding money. uh, And then when you're in the trenches, actually understanding all the rules of the state that you're working in, the federal, the guilds, the unions, and all of that stuff. It sounds like a great big headache. I don't know. (laughs) It is a headache. It does make your brain melt when you're standing there you and trying to understand how to what decision to make about do we go long 15 minutes today do i have enough money banked from a previous day am i am i going to be more over as i consistently uh, build expenses so it can make your brain explode if you can (laughs) get into the job once you'll be you'll know nothing you'll be a you you think you know everything but you'll know absolutely nothing if you can get it into into it a second time you will have learned from the first time a lot about the process and really film production once you understand the physicality of it what changes what moves what's needed what's expensive what isn't then you're just dealing with human behavior and telegraphing what's going to happen with the people you're working with so you give it to somebody else to get the talent, right? But some talent requires a lot more money than other talent. I mean, how does that work? You're working with egos and um, yeah, you know other people's schedules and you know correct. how far ahead of time do you have to like, let's say you want to make a movie. Is it like two years before, before to get it, the ball rolling before actual like production of the movie? 
It depends on the scale, the size, and whether it's an independent movie or a studio picture. It kind of all depends. Um, I see movies go into development. Well, Beloved was in development at Disney when I was at Harpo 10 years before it got made, before I was even working there. And then it finally got made. And then from the time it got greenlit, they got the studio got a draft they were happy with. Then you're bringing in the director, which was Jonathan Demme and then Oprah and Danny Glover and pulling together those schedules, finding a hole in the calendar where they both work as well as the director. There's a lot of moving parts, but um, there's not a lot of content being made. Let's not forget, Um, you know, there's a couple hundred, even less now, but um, at the time there were about 200 movies made every year and there were 10, nine studios that you could make them from. So it, it becomes less of a, uh, of, of a big lift, but it is certainly, you know, a lot of people laying out who's available and when and pulling calendars together and money and all the rest of it. But a small picture shooting 15 days, spending two to $5 million will prep a movie for three weeks. That's where you bring in all the crew, the designers, you figure out where you're going to shoot location scouts and so on. And then you shoot for 15 days and you post for anywhere from 12 to eight weeks mm-hmm. um, and sometimes less, uh, depending on the demands, the delivery of who wants it. On right. big movies, you'll shoot for 100 days and you'll prep for 12 weeks with a full crew and as much as a year before that with just pre-visualization with CGI or graphics, um, the VFX and the director and the production designer and everybody putting together all the pieces to figure out how to do something. So uh, it yeah. can range. Well, that's amazing. I mean, what is your perspective? Because movie making has really changed. I mean, since the pandemic and everything, like everything is streaming now, you have a lot more choices. And um, what is your kind of take on that now? Do you find it it's better? Are people willing to think more outside of the box because of what we've been throwing in and they're taking chances a little bit more? Or No. No? Okay. This is not a business that takes chances. For all the talk about how it's tip of the spear, cutting edge, redefining. Yes, that's somewhat true in the creative parts of what we're talking about. Sure. Um, But in physical logistics and the marketing and the distribution of it, it's all the same. It's changing to some extent because of the streamers, but they had a good 10-year head start ahead of the studios and they did it really smartly. I mean, Hulu less so, but certainly Netflix. Um, They ate everybody's lunch for a long time. But now that cheap and free money is becoming less ubiquitous and available, that will probably change going forward. But, you know, and Disney's eating their lunch now, honestly, with this in the streaming space. So I don't think it really is changing that much, honestly, a little bit to some extent. But, you know, it's not going to change until people stop going to the movies or paying for it. Yeah. And that's never going to happen. I'm, you know. Regardless, well, they of might where... stop. They might stop paying for Avengers and DC movies. That might change. It might be the, the the audience might be like, "I'm bored. This stuff. We've seen this one before. Right, How many exactly. more times do we need to see? Let's Obi-Wan do something a little Kenobi? bit different." <laughs> yeah, right. but this is a movie of this is a business of copycats. A movie does well, and that it gets is true. Oh my you, god! You just put a different spin on it, but it's the same yeah. thing. You know, that is annoying. It's like, come on! And then I see movies with the same title from uh, another movie twenty years back. It's like. Just make a different title, something different, you know, something different. Come on, you're all running out of ideas. <laughs> They're not running out of ideas. What's what the the problem is, having seen it for a long time, the problem is there's only a finite number of good ideas and people who can execute them. And about true. every three or four years, an amazing idea comes along. It's either in a screenplay or it actually gets put into production and it gets made. 
And I use Inception as the best example of that with Chris Nolan's early movies. Okay. And we're going on 20 years now, by the way. Yeah. And there's been a couple since. But that was a movie that came along and just blew everything up. It's like, oh my God, this is amazing. And it was in an, in an ind- independent space made for a small amount of money. Not nothing, but it was made for a smallish amount of money compared to right. what other studio pictures were being made for. But movies like that and projects and ideas like that don't come along very often. And a director who can execute at that level, they don't come along very often. Right. So it is it is truly capturing lightning in a bottle and finding that person. Danny Boyle is a good example of someone who did that with train spotting. And then the um, slumdog millionaire came along and, you know, they come along and blow things up. The, um, uh, the Weinstein brothers did a move, a black and white silent, I think, uh, and won an Oscar for it a bunch of years ago. That's something that came along uh, because the filmmakers were like, we want to do something different. So it does come along once in a while, but by and large it's, it's, it's pretty uncommon and it's because good ideas are really hard to come by. I know. Well, I mean, that, that is very true. It is. It's like, how many ideas can you just regurgitate? But, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, I've watched Sharknado. Okay. I'm like, (laughs) if they can have Sharknado, they absolutely can make my book into a movie. I'm not kidding. I'm serious. What the heck? Okay, before we go, I really would like you to talk about your book. You have a wonderful book out. It's called A Roadmap for How Not to Get Duped in Hollywood. Can you tell us more about your book, where it's available, where people can get it? Well, that's, yeah, that's the subtitle. The the title of the book is How to Make It in Hollywood. Okay. And it it is a roadmap for if you want to come to Hollywood, how do you get connected? How do you network? How's the industry structured? How do you avoid the Hollywood con man who will steal your time and steal your money if you let them? And it is about, it walks you through the example of you pick your 20 favorite movies. You then go research who worked on them. You then put them into tiers, top tier, middle tier, low tier. You're talking about, you know, you pull the Joss Whedons of the world, right? Are you going to get a meeting with him? Probably not. Are you going to get a meeting with his head writer? Maybe. Are you going to get a meeting with a staff writer? Probably. And you're going to sit down and have an informational interview and just talk, let them talk about themselves. You're going to ask them a simple question. How'd you get to where you are? If that's the job you want, you want to understand that. And then that's your introduction into that conversation. I also teach, how do you, how do you make those connections? Largely it's online to some extent it's cold calling, but you make those connections because you're able to understand how the industry is structured what that person's place is in the industry. And that kind of knowledge and intellectual understanding helps build a rapport and, and an understanding of why that person is going to respond to you. For example, I'm out there on the web all over the place. You can find my email. You can send me an email and say, hey, man, will you read my script? No, I don't read scripts. I haven't done that for 20 years. I've done that since I left Harpo. I'm a finance guy. Mm-hmm. Am I going to go find money for your movie? Hell no. I'm going to go find money for movies that I'm connected to that I'm going to make a profit from Absolutely, and for my clients because they pay me to find money for them. Not because it's on the if come, but they pay me a lot of money to sit in a chair and do a thing every month where I help them find money for their movies. Right. So I got an email from a woman who was, I just recently graduated from, uh, from um, Northridge university with an advertising degree. And I I'm interested in working in film production accounting. And I went, ah, I can help this girl. She understood what I do my place in it. And she knew what she needed and wanted and where she wanted to go. Yeah. So that's part of understanding the people who work in the industry and how it's structured. So you can make an impression on someone who will actually respond to you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's fabulous. I think it's it's worth getting because heck, everybody wants to be in, well, not, you know, there's a good amount of people out there who would love to be in the movie business, the writing business, get behind yeah. the scenes. I mean, so um, I think your book would be very helpful for that. So it's uh, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble? No, actually it's available. Uh, you can buy it directly. It's a PDF download. It's available on career.timtortora.com. And okay. My last name is spelt T-O-R-T-O-R-A. Yeah. Cool. And there's other companion Q&As and other community that comes yeah. along with it if you want to do that as well. But there you go. I almost need to have you on again because I just didn't get into the just, uh, I mean, I wanted to talk about all other kinds of things, but I have Zoom telling me you only got so many minutes and I don't, I really don't want to cut you off. So thank you so much, um, Tim Tortora, for coming on to Juicy Pear Podcast. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It. Thanks for having me. I love this business. It's a lot of fun and I... I want people to come and succeed at it. That's why I do this. Well, thank you so much, and I wish you well. My pleasure. Hey, thank you for listening, and I'm so glad you're here. I had so much fun and hope you enjoyed this episode. To hear more episodes, please subscribe to my website, a juicy pair podcast.com. See you there. Hey, I'm your host, Wendy, and you just listened to another episode of a juicy pair podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. And I would love it if you could subscribe, rate and leave a review. Each week I have new content and I love talking with creatives. Tell your friends and family and if you're feeling led, hey, you can buy me a coffee on a juicypearpodcast.com.